Good morning, Freedom. My name is Eric. I'm the pastor here, and we're grateful that you're joining us both here in person and those of you that are online with us. This morning, we are continuing this series uh, that we're calling Hope is Here. And over these four weeks in this series, we're going to be discovering that hope, true hope, real hope, is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ and in relationship with other believers, other followers of Christ. And we all have times where we need hope, don't we? I mean, in the times that we live in, it is so easy for us to lose hope. We can lose hope because of, because of the, the burdens that we carry, which we talked about last week. And we said these burdens, they weigh us down. They, they burden us and, and it can cause us to lose hope. But we can also lose hope because of brokenness. Because of brokenness in our lives that can cause us to lose hope. And the reality is we all have brokenness, don't we? I know I have brokenness, and I imagine you have brokenness. And every single one of us have, have areas in our lives that, that just feel broken. Why? Because the choices we make matter. Every decision, every choice you make matters. And every decision and every choice you make has consequences good or bad. And all of us at some point in our lives have made some poor choices. Can I get an amen? Yeah. You can get a witness. Yes. We've all made poor choices. We've all done things that have, that have caused us to walk into sin and to, and to make mistakes. And as a result of that, it causes us to, 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 to feel hopeless. Why? Because those poor choices cause relationships to fall apart. Those poor choices cause trust to be broken. Our sin may have even caused us to lose a job. It may have caused us to be hurt financially. It, it may have caused us to, to put strain on our marriages and our other relationships. And because of that, we lose hope. And that brokenness can cause us to lose hope. Because the reality is, church, there's no worse feeling than when our sin finds us out, is there? There's no worse feeling than when what we've tried to keep hidden is no longer hidden. There's no worse feeling than what, what happens when our sin is exposed. Why? Because we feel guilt. We feel shame. We feel humiliated. And that causes us to lose hope. It can leave us hopeless. And we're sitting there trying to pick up the pieces, trying to, to, to figure out how do we move forward? What do we do? And at times like that, I know that I feel abandoned by God. I feel judged by others. And I feel hopeless. I feel like I've lost hope. And in those moments, we need, we long for some hope, don't we? But here's what I want. I want you've got to hear this today. I want you to, I'm going to go ahead and give you the conclusion before we even start. And the conclusion is this. And I want you to hear this, that Jesus promises not only rest from our burdens, he promises restoration in our brokenness. Jesus not only promises rest from our, for our burdens, he promises restoration in our brokenness. You see, your worst decisions, your poorest choices don't have to be the end of the story. They don't have to continue to define your story. Restoration is possible. Brokenness 
can be mended. And because Jesus is here, hope is here. And I want you to hear that. You've, we've got to hear that. And there's a story in Scripture that's, that I'm going to use to, to, uh, to prove this argument, to kind of make this argument that restoration is possible, that hope is possible even in the midst of our brokenness. There's a story in Scripture about this woman and this woman, has hit her. she's broken and she's in need of restoration. Her sin in this moment has been exposed. And the events take place in John chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can look on the screen. Uh, the, the verses will be there as well. But in John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching. He's in the synagogue. He's communicating. He's teaching. And he gets interrupted by these religious leaders. They bust in on his teaching. And here's what happens. In, in John chapter 8, Beginning, we're going to begin in verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and they sat down, and Jesus taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, listen to what they did. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they placed her in the midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, that's the Old Testament law, that's the Mosaic law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? What do you think? Now, it seems odd, right? The religious leaders are asking Jesus' opinion. They've never asked his opinion on anything else. In fact, they've opposed all of his teachings and in, in, in everything he said so far. In verse 6, they, says, they, said, they said this to him in order to do what? To test him, to trap him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Now, let's stop right there. See, the religious leaders in this moment are setting a trap for Jesus. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to trap him. So what do they do? They abruptly uh, try to catch him off guard by bringing this woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. And they bring her, bring her to him, and they throw her in front of him in the midst of this crowd in the temple where Jesus is teaching. And they ask her, hey, listen, Jesus, what do you think we should do? What do you think is the next step, Jesus? And I have to admit, though it is twisted and it is sick, there's actually some genius in their plan. In this trap, there's actually, they've thought this one through. Like, there's been times they tried to trap Jesus and, you know, it's, it's like you have no standing. But this one, they, they've actually got something here, possibly. Let me tell you why I think that. Because there's, there's, there's some, some options presented to, the, to, the, to our Lord. And the first one is this. You see, the Mosaic law is very clear. That adultery is sin, that adultery is wrong, and it is punishable by stoning, by death. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders know just how compassionate Jesus is. They know that he loves sinners, that he is drawn to sinners, that he came to save sinners. And so they know he has compassion, especially for people that are, that are sinners. He, and they know that, and they think that his compassion, that because of his compassion, because of his love for people, that they can trap him and get him to go against the Mosaic law. See, here's, what, here's, the, here's, the, here's their plan. On one hand, if Jesus argues for forgiveness... If he says, listen, we need to forgive this woman. We need to, to, to offer her grace and forgiveness. Here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Jesus would be going against the law of Moses. 
He would be opposing the very law of Moses. Though it would be consistent with his teaching on grace, it would oppose Moses' Old Testament law. And you see, by by going against Moses' law, Jesus would undermine his teaching on being the Jewish Messiah. Because how on earth could the Jewish Messiah go against the very law that was written to the Jews? Pretty sticky situation, right? But it doesn't end there. In fact, on the other hand, Jesus could lead, lead on the side of law. He could say, you guys, you are absolutely right. Because of this woman's sin, she should be condemned. That is the result of her sin. It was her choices. Those are the consequences for her choices. And therefore, you can go ahead and stone her. Jesus, could, he could have done that. He could, he could have done that. But the problem is that would compromise his teaching on grace. So they've got him trapped. Because you see, if Jesus sides with the Mosaic law, then it undermines his teaching and his love for sinners. It undermines the fact that Jesus said and has been called a friend of sinners. So they've got him, but that's, it doesn't even end there. There's also some cultural ramifications in here. Because yes, the Old Testament law stated in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22 that adulterers were to be stoned publicly. But here's the problem. In this time, the Jews are under, under occupation by the Romans. And the Jews did not have authority to stone anyone to death. They had to get permission from the Romans. So it really seems like a perfect setup. If Jesus honors God's law, he'll incur the wrath of Rome. If Jesus submits to Roman law, then he'd have to ignore God's law. Seems like he's trapped, doesn't it? And here's the reality. The sad and shocking part of this story is that this woman is being used as a pawn by the religious leaders. She's being used by these religious leaders. Her sin is exposed in order for them to get rid of Jesus. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole reason they even bring her before him. One of the things we notice is that there's not a man involved. Now, last time I checked, adultery had to require a man and a woman, right? There's no man involved. Why? Because the, God, the, the religious leaders were only concerned about harming Jesus. And so they use her sin in order to do so. But regardless of their reasoning, regardless of their motivation, this woman's sin is exposed. She's been caught cheating on her husband with someone else. Her sin has been exposed. She's embarrassed, humiliated, ashamed. And she is fully aware of the consequences for her sin. She knows that the Old Testament law requires her, her to be stoned to death. Isn't that what brokenness looks like? I mean, this woman is broken. I mean, she's got a broken marriage, broken reputation. She's hit rock bottom. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. We all have experienced brokenness. Every single one of us have experienced brokenness. We've all sinned, and our sin has been exposed. And when it is, we are embarrassed, we're ashamed, we're humiliated. Maybe your choices have caused you to, to, have caused you to have ruined relationships. 
Maybe your choices have caused you to have a ruined reputation. Perhaps your sin has, has robbed you of peace, has robbed you of joy, has robbed you of relationship with God. And no doubt this woman has lost all hope. No doubt she has lost hope. Her sin has been exposed for all to see. But here's the beauty, and here's what I want you to see next. Jesus intervenes. Jesus steps in. And, and, and listen, you've got you to hear this. You've got to grasp this. Because this is so important. If you, will let your, if, if you will let it, when your sin is exposed, it can be the beginning of restoration. It can be the beginning of healing. It can be the beginning of hope. But you've got to allow that. See, if you will allow in that moment when your sin is exposed for Jesus to intervene, for Jesus to step in, it can bring healing. It can bring restoration. And it can bring it begins with your restoration in your relationship with God, and it extends to your relationships with others. But we have to let Jesus intervene, and here's what happens. Let's pick back up in verse 6. At the second half of verse 6, it says, so they sent her to, they, they tried to test him, and then Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Let's pause right there. So before these men could even finish their little speech, what does Jesus do? He just bends down, starts writing in the dirt. He just starts writing. He, it's almost as if he's ignoring him. He starts writing something in the sand with his finger, and, and we're not told exactly what he was writing. John doesn't tell us, so we don't know. We can only speculate. And there's been people that have said, you know, well, he, was, he, was, he was writing the sins of the accusers, which is possible. It's possible he was writing the Ten Commandments. Perhaps he was even writing the, the law that says uh, we should not bear false witness against anyone. We don't know what he was saying, but we do know that he was writing. Those are all speculations. Those are all reasonable suggestions, but we simply have to admit we don't know. But what we do know is that whatever he was writing did not detour his his accusers look what it says it says that they were single-minded in their determination to get rid of jesus and they continue over and over and over again to ask him hey what are we going to do and he's writing what are we supposed to do with this woman he keeps writing jesus what are you going to tell us to do and he just keeps writing in the sand he just keeps writing keeps writing keeps writing and then eventually he stands up and he issues a challenge to these religious leaders he tells them, listen, to them, he tells them, listen, you are free to proceed with the stoning. Go ahead, grab some rocks, pick them up, and proceed with stoning this woman, just as the Old Testament law requires. But, I love this, but the person who is without sin has to be the first one to throw a stone. The person, the first one to throw a rock has to be the one who has no sin. Don't you love that? 
Jesus doesn't, he, 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 he doesn't dismiss the Old Testament law. He says, listen, proceed, go ahead. Throw a stone. Just make sure that you're without sin before you do. Which reminds me that the church, and when I say the church, we know that the church is not this building. The church is this people. It's the people of God. It's followers of Jesus. But the church must be a place of hope. The church has to be a place of hope. And I want to pause just for a second. I want to point out that sin does not happen in a vacuum. Like your sin does not just affect you. It, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It does have collateral damage. Every sin you and I ever commit has collateral damage. Could be ruined relationships. It could ruin your reputation. It hurts other people. That It, it, it has collateral damage and as important as it is for a sinner to respond rightly to their shameful mistakes it is equally important that you and i as the church you and i as followers of jesus respond rightly to sin as well here's what i mean you and i receive hope in the midst of our brokenness when we acknowledge that we've all fallen short, when we acknowledge that we're all sinners, when we acknowledge that we're all broken and we've all sinned before God. See, the beauty of following Christ, the beauty of this fellowship within the church is that we're able to extend forgiveness and grace to one another because we're all broken. We can extend forgiveness. We can offer grace because we're all broken. None of us can look at the other person and say, well, I'm better than you because I'm not broken. Because we're all broken. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. That's the beauty of this fellowship that God has called us to. And I love the brilliance of Jesus' response. He doesn't oppose the Old Testament law. Instead, he gives these religious folks a lesson on grace. He doesn't neglect the law, as we're going to see in just a moment. But he says, listen, you need to understand grace. You can throw a stone if you're without sin. And the only person in this story that could have thrown a stone was who? Jesus. Because he's the only one in this story who was without sin. He says, you can't throw a stone. None of us can. Why? Because we're all guilty. Every single one of us have broken God's law. Every single one of us have, have, have disobeyed God. Every single one of us have sinned. Therefore, none of us can actually throw a stone. And what happens? One by one, these religious leaders drop their stones and walk away. They just drop their rocks and, and, run, and walk away. I love the detail that's given. It says, first, the older ones start. Like the older religious leaders, older Pharisees, they're like, oh, he's got us. I think their wisdom probably helped them grasp the lesson sooner rather than later. They drop their stones and walk away. But the younger men, they're like, wait a second, she broke the law. And then they're thinking, but so have I. But then they're wrestling and then their stubbornness, they wait a little while. And they hold those rocks a little bit longer. And, but yet eventually they too have to walk away. And as the dust settles and as the rocks hit the ground one by one, 
Only Jesus and this woman are left. They're the only two left. And look what happens in verse 10. Jesus, he stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. No one's condemned me. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now I want to contrast for just a moment the difference between how Jesus treated this woman and how the religious leaders treated this woman. The religious leaders cared only about condemning her. And Jesus cared about redeeming her. The religious leaders, all they wanted to do was condemn her. And really they wanted to do so in order to trap Jesus. But Jesus wants to offer her restoration. He wants to offer her redemption. And I love this, that Jesus doesn't ignore her sin. He doesn't excuse her sin. Look what he does. He acknowledges it. He says, I don't condemn you either. Even though I could, I do not condemn you. He acknowledges it. Why? Because he came to save sinners. Jesus doesn't give her a license to keep sinning. What he does is he gives her a reason to stop. Listen, when you and I come to Christ, when we come to Jesus, he's not giving us a license to keep sinning because we'll be forgiven. What he does is he gives us a reason to stop. Why? Because he's redeemed us, because he's forgiven us, because he loves us. And Jesus looks at this woman, and I think for the very first time, in the midst of her brokenness, she felt hope. I think for the very first time in the midst of her sin, she felt hope. Why? Because Jesus doesn't only forgive her. He gives her a pathway of transformation. He gives her a way to transform her life. And remember, Jesus is the only one in the story who doesn't condemn her for her mistakes. He's the only one in this story who does not want to punish her for her wrongdoing. Rather, Jesus offers her grace. And I want you to hear what Jesus does. Jesus covers her disgrace with his grace. Jesus covers her disgrace with his grace. And church, he does the same thing for me. And he does the same thing for you. He'll take all your shame. All your disgrace, all your humiliation, he will cover it with his grace. Isn't that good news? Listen, as the church, as followers of, of Jesus, our agenda must always be redemption through grace. That's our agenda as a church. That's what freedom is about. We are about redemption through grace. Even if we oppose other people's lifestyles and sin, it requires us, the gospel requires us to always extend mercy to people. That's what it requires. It, offers, it requires us to offer kindness and to extend compassion. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. That's exactly what Jesus has done for me. He has offered us mercy. He's offered us grace. He's offered us love and compassion. When Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross, he bore the judgment 
for every single sinful action, attitude, and thought that you've ever had. Jesus took our sin upon the cross, and because of that, we are to offer grace and forgiveness to others. Your sin does not surprise Jesus. Why? Because he's already paid the punishment for it. He's already bore it upon himself. And as Christians, we know that Jesus has paid the price for our sin. Our sin requires us to be separated from God. It requires God's judgment. So what did Jesus do? He stepped into our place. He took God's judgment upon himself for my sin and for your sin. And as a result, we can find rest in his grace, in his goodness, in his forgiveness. Jesus says, you and I as followers of his are no longer condemned. Why? Because he took the condemnation for us. He took the sin on our behalf. And here's the hardest part that I think we have to realize when we sin, when we make mistakes, is this. Is that Jesus won't stone you, so we have to stop stoning ourselves. Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to throw a stone at you. And yet, we continue with, because of our shame, because of our, our unwillingness or, un, or inability to forgive ourselves, we continue to throw stones at ourselves, don't we? We continue to beat ourselves up. And what I want you to understand, or what you want to grasp, if you will receive Jesus' forgiveness, he's not going to stone you, and you can stop stoning yourself. You can rest in his forgiveness, rest in his compassion, and in his grace. Listen, church, this should be an encouragement for every single one of us to stop hiding our sin and to come humbly to Jesus. This should be an encouragement to confess our sin, to seek the forgiveness that he so freely gives and we so greatly need. That's what he came to do. And here's what I want you to know. The truest thing about you, no matter what you believe about yourself, no matter what you've, you've convinced yourself about you, the truest thing about you is that you are loved by God. That's the truest thing about you. God doesn't determine your value based on how well you perform. God doesn't determine your value based on your reputation. He doesn't determine your value based on what you have or haven't done. No, he bases your value on the fact that he has made you. He values you because he made you. He values you because he loves you. And listen, this is where our hope is found. Our hope is found in a God who loves us just the way that we are. But loves us so much that he's not willing to let us stay there. See, he offers redemption but he also offers transformation. He also offers a pathway of growth, a way that we can be transformed, a way that we can be changed. Because clearly Jesus doesn't condone her sin. In fact, his last words to her were what? Go and sin no more. He offers her a path of redemption and a path of transformation. Jesus cares about how we live our lives. He cares about the choices we make. He wants us to, to be transformed. He wants us to, to, to be changed. So yes, he is okay when our sin is exposed. 
but not in the way that religious leaders were. You see, the religious leaders exposed this woman's sin to shame her and to trap Jesus. But you see, when our sin is exposed, what Jesus wants to do, he wants to come along and he wants to make us whole. He wants to come along and take those broken pieces and put them back together again. That's why God puts broken pieces back together. God puts broken pieces back together. No matter what brokenness is in your life, no matter what sin you've committed, God is ready and willing through Jesus Christ to put those pieces back together again. We have to understand this. We have to grasp this. And I've got good news for you today, and it's this. If you're in here and you're broken today, which all of us are, if you feel like you're surrounded by people who only want to throw stones at you, Jesus will meet you where, you're, where you are. And because of that, you can have hope. Jesus wants to meet you wherever you are. And because he's willing to do so, you and I can have hope. But we have a choice to make. You and I have two choices. We can choose to, and these choices, what we choose will determine the future that you live out. You can choose to, to take this truth and make no changes. You can choose to disregard the truth that Jesus offers forgiveness. You can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to continue on the pathway and the trajectory that I'm on right now. But I don't know about you, but if you are walking in your sin and living in your sin, that seems pretty hopeless. That seems pretty dire. But you can do that. You can continue on that path. But the other option you have is this, is that you can come before Jesus. You can confess your sin. You can submit to him. You can receive his forgiveness and you can walk in new life. That's the choice we have. We can confess our sin. We can believe in Christ that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sin, to redeem us from our sin. And as a result, we will be found in Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it describes this new life that you and I have. He says, therefore, if anyone, that's anyone, anyone in Greek means anyone and everyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Church, that is the heart of the gospel. When you and I are found in Christ, he makes us new. He makes us brand new. On the cross, when Jesus died for our sin, he took our guilt, our shame, our brokenness. He died in our place so that he could say to us, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. I've paid that price. And when we come to Christ in faith, we are called, we are said to be in Christ. And as a result of being in Christ, our old ways of living become a thing of the past. And God begins to do something new in us. He begins to transform us from the inside out. He begins to reshape our heart and our soul and he makes us new. And then he invites us into this community called the church, which the church is simply, uh, is simply just a bunch of sinners trying to live out this new life that Christ has called us to. 
You realize that's all we are, right? That's all we are. We're just a bunch of sinners trying to live out this newness that Christ has called us to, that he's given us as a gift. And that's what we do. And so the church, because of that, we should be a place where grace is readily found. Why? Because the key to our hope is the grace that God offers us and the grace that we get and give to one another. See, without God's grace, we have no hope. Without giving and getting grace from others, we have no hope. And so I want to invite you to trust this community that God has placed you in. To be a place where we offer hope to one another. Because we all come in here as sinners just trying to live out this grace-filled life. This new life that Christ calls us to. And this morning, I want to invite you, more importantly than anything, I want you to bring those broken pieces those areas in your life that are broken, I want you to bring them and I want you to believe that God can make something new out of those broken pieces. I want you to come this morning and I want you to believe that God can bring something beautiful out of your life, that he can bring restoration, that he can make you new. Why? Because Jesus promises that I will give restoration for your brokenness. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for the grace that you offer us, the grace that you extend to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We are broken, sinful people. We fall short of your glory. We fall short of your... short of your calling. Lord, every single one of us have areas that, that our sin has been exposed and has created shame and guilt. And yet, Jesus, this is the beauty of your gospel. That you say to us, neither do I condemn you. And so, Lord, help us first and foremost, to, if we're followers of you, to stop throwing stones at ourselves. And rest in your forgiveness, rest in your compassion, rest in your grace. Lord, for anyone here this morning, either in this room or watching online, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never received that gift of salvation that he offers, today is the day. Today is the day to say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. And yet, Jesus, I know that you died on the cross. To pay the penalty. To take the punishment. For my sin. And Jesus I want to come to you today. Confessing my sin. And receiving your gift of forgiveness. And grace. And new life. And here's what Jesus promises. That if you will come and receive him. If you will simply confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. And Jesus' promise to each and every one of us is that he will bring restoration in our brokenness. 
And so, Jesus, take all of our broken pieces and make them whole. Make them new. Bring your restoration that only comes through your shed blood on the cross that paid for our sin. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, we're, we're going to conclude this time uh, with communion. I couldn't think of a better way for us to remember how Jesus came to restore our brokenness than by receiving communion. Now, communion represents the shed blood of Jesus, that cup. Jesus said that he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant of my blood, a new covenant that I give to you. Then he said the bread represents his body that was broken on the cross for our sin. And so when we receive communion, we do so in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. We do so in order to remember the grace that Jesus offers us and the restoration that he can bring to us. And listen, if you are new to freedom, if you're not a member of a church, but you're a follower of Jesus... We invite you to participate in communion with us. And the way we do it here is we've got four stations in the four corners of this room. And at each one of those corners, you can go and you can receive communion. You can do so as a family. You can do so with your friends. The only thing we ask is that you be a follower of Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus just yet, we just ask that you not partake in communion. But what we do ask you to do is to talk to someone that you came with, that invited you, that maybe someone you've met today and say, you know what, I, I want to place my faith in Christ. I want to receive that restoration that Jesus promised. And so we encourage you to do so, to take that next step, because once you voice a decision for Christ, there's accountability there. There's, there's a body of Christ called the church that wants to come around you, come beside you, walk with you. Because the key to our hope it's the grace offered to, offered to us by God and the grace we give and get from one another. That's why he's called us into community. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to receive communion, and we're going to remember what Christ has done for us through his shed blood, through his broken body, and how that brings restoration, how that brings forgiveness. Now, at each of the stations, there are two options. You can take the prepackaged Uh, communion you can take it right there at the table you can take it back to your seat we also have the individual elements that you can receive as well but let's stand church let's remember what christ has done for us through his death burial and resurrection and how that brings restoration in the midst of our brokenness